RadioInfluence.com. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, T.J. Reed. Well, here we go with yet another show off of an amazing, riveting, crazy finish to the college football season in Alabama with another championship. This time an overtime win over Georgia in the college football playoff. NFL playoff games to talk about and much more. We are locked and loaded. It's another episode of Three Dog Thursday. I am your somewhat capable host, T.J. Reeves. He is senior handicapper and writer from VegasInsider.com, Kevin Rogers. Good to have you. And the audience should be aware of this. We were three for three with the NFL underdogs last week. We had a pretty good week. It was a crazy weekend of football, including that championship game. How are you doing, Kevin? Doing well. You know, college football, it's almost like, uh, you know, here and gone, you know, after what happened Monday night between Alabama and Georgia, obviously a a slow start and an excellent finish. But, uh, yeah, football's coming on the stretch now for the final few weeks, and we'll see how this whole thing shakes out before Minnesota. Yeah, no doubt about that. So uh, chronologically, we're going to talk, obviously, to the conclusion of the college football season and that Alabama-Georgia game. We'll talk a little bit about the playoff games from last weekend. Then I'm going to bring you back in the final segment to make predictions and underdog predictions on these NFL playoff games for this weekend. Later on in the middle part of the show, Peter Schrager will be here. And, Kevin, I don't know how big of a fan you are or not, but I, I am completely backing Good Morning Football, the NFL Network morning show that Schrager is part of with Nate Burleson as as well as Kay Adams and Kyle Brandt. Peter's here to talk some about that show, uh, to talk some about the playoff wildcard weekend, and we may even sneak an underdog prediction out of him, so I look forward to talking with him. Also, my buddy Price Atkinson, who was with me this weekend in Atlanta for the College Football Playoff Podcast. Price will be here to give uh, some more insight on Alabama's thrilling win. I'll get an underdog prediction maybe out of Price and and much more and tell, him, uh, tell you about uh, much more of what he's up to as well. So that's kind of in the middle of the show. So there I've kind of set the table. Let, let's go back again to uh, to Monday evening. Your thoughts, because I've spoken on this in a couple of different places, including that college football playoff podcast. Your thoughts on Nick Saban going to an unproven, true freshman quarterback in the Hawaiian kid, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And uh, Tonga-Vailoa makes him look like a genius. Played brilliantly, got him back in the game, eventually threw the winning touchdown pass. Kevin, what about Saban going to the freshman and having that freshman quarterback deliver in the biggest game of all? I mean, I don't know if it's luck or if it's just Nick Saban made the right call. Uh, you know, the offense wasn't doing well, and he had to make a move, and he made the move. And you know what? If they had lose that game, then Saban would be questioned. He'd lose two consecutive national championship games and say, you know, why did you make the move? Did you panic? But instead he makes the move, and it works out. He did get sacked in the play before he threw the long touchdown pass. But uh, it ended up working out. And, again, these – TJ, I, I've seen these best of one games as opposed to like the NBA Finals or the NHL playoffs or the World Series. You know, you, you normally have the better team win four times. I'm not saying Alabama's not the better team. What I'm saying is you look at Georgia, they beat Oklahoma with a blocked field goal in overtime, or at least that helped them win. 
this goes to overtime, anything can happen. Like in a best of one situation, Alabama did win the championship, but there are so many things you could pick at in a one game scenario that I say it's not overwhelming. You know, Alabama should have won last year against Clemson. They lost the final seconds. So, you know, can you trade it out and say they should have won last year and lost this year because they were down by double digits and had to come back at the end? And, you know, it's disappointing for Georgia because I don't know if they're going to get back to this game. We know Alabama will because they do that. Georgia, who knows? I mean, if, if teams start improving the SEC East, then, you know, maybe it'll be tough for Georgia to get back to the SEC championship on a consistent basis. But it was a very good championship game, but people are still going to question why UCF wasn't there. They're going to question how Alabama's there without winning an SEC championship. I mean, I mean, Alabama's a champion. There's no disputing that, but there's, there's still a lot to be desired with all of this. Well, and give uh, Alabama credit, give the college football playoff committee credit, because again, it's a subjective process. They, they punched Alabama's ticket for them and Alabama validated that ticket. I mean, I, I just, I roll my eyes and chuckle at people that make the argument. Well, the actual playoff games themselves, they don't prove that the committee was right about who they choose. Uh, yes, they do. And Alabama beating Clemson the way that they did, who the committee thought was the best team and Alabama winning that game the other night, it absolutely validates that the committee subjectively put them in as the fourth team. They proved it on the field. This is what's great or greater about the new process because the old process with the BCS or when we were simply leaving it up to bowl games to pick and figure out the matchups, Georgia and Alabama would have had no path, Kevin, you know this, to be able to play in the championship game. They'd have been on the outside looking in and Clemson and Oklahoma would have played in the championship game as the one and two teams. At least we decided it with a semifinal and a title game on the field because of it and, and that's better. That's, that's my viewpoint on it. I don't know if you have another thought on that. Well, I mean, look, in today's age, in all sports across the board, you can't just have the two best teams play for the championship. you got to expand a little bit, especially when you have teams with similar resumes. You know, it's one thing if the top two teams play for the national championship. They're both 12-0, and 0, both average 50 points a game, and these are the best two by far. We didn't know who the two best teams were this year. And with so much, I mean, I hate using parity, but at least more of an evenness of talent, on a lot of these teams now, all, all across the board, like baseball. Baseball, you can't just have the two teams in the NLCS anymore. You, you've got to have more teams able to compete for it. Now, chances are you'll probably have the better teams in the championship, right. but at least let them play to get there. So I have no problem expanding it because it should be expanded. There's no reason why. But I guess they have to lay it out and say, all right, if they're the four best teams, regardless if you won your conference championship, it should be the four best teams and not have a, well, you won a conference championship, so you get you won an extra game, so you should get in, or you didn't, so you don't get in. I mean, Alabama was 11-0 and before they lost to Auburn in the final game. All of a sudden, now they're just, like, not a top team in the, in the country anymore. You know, I mean, it's the problem is that they don't explain what it is. I have no problem with who was in there, who the top four were. We had talked about it a few weeks ago about UCF, that really it's hard to kick one of these four teams out in favor of UCF, even though they went 12-0, and that you're asked to win all your games, you win all your games, and you still have nothing to show for it. But, you know, it's always better with more teams just because, you know, give more teams a chance. I mean, yes, you can argue Clemson lost to Syracuse. Why is Clemson in the Final Four? You know, and... Ohio State didn't get in the Final Four because they lost to Iowa. They have 55 points in that game. It's You lose early, it's fine. You lose late, it's not fine. But Alabama got in, they lost late. It just 
just explain to us what it really means, and then it'll make more sense. All right, and one more on Nick Saban. I'd love to have your thought again. I've expressed these thoughts, too. I mean, it's, it's tough for anybody to argue. Six national championships, one at LSU, five now at Alabama in the modern era. I mean, you can make some arguments of some previous coaches in other eras, but in terms of college football, where do you rank him? How, how do you rank him? How do you view him? He's the best. I mean, no matter what his personality is or however you want to, to, to paint him, to do what you do in a sport with so much turnover, it's one thing with Bill Belichick where you have the same quarterback for 15 years. You know, it's one thing when Phil Jackson had Michael Jordan for so long or, or you know, see what the Warriors are doing with the players they have. With Alabama, you have all these different quarterbacks. You have all these different players year in and year every two years or so. This isn't college basketball. I mean, these players at least stay for a few years. But to have all that turnover, is that's an incredible job to keep winning and to keep being at the top of your sport where I mentioned earlier, Georgia probably had their one shot at a national championship, and this is probably it, that a lot of these other teams, I mean, USC, big-time program, not in a national championship. Jim Harbaugh, genius, Michigan, they're getting <laughs> to like the Outback Bowl every year. I mean, it's to sustain that in this kind of sport is incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point that you make. And again, we saw Pete Carroll do this for a lot of years at USC, and they won two or three championships. Of course, the NCAA took, I guess, one of them away or whatever. But, uh, you, you know, you, you had other coaches. Barry Switzer was obviously great in his time period, and we had him recently uh, on with us as part of, uh, of Three Dog Thursday this past season. Uh, you, you can look at a lot of different college football coaches and, and what they were able to do, but just not this sustained over this amount of time. Five championships in nine years, that, that just hasn't happened. Tom Osborne had a lot of success uh, when he was at Nebraska. Jimmy Johnson with the Miami Hurricanes. I know you're in South Florida, although, although a lot of people don't realize Jimmy only won the one title, moved on, and then Dennis Erickson got a couple of them after that, uh, and they've had some since, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, Saban is the standard. And the question becomes, does he want to continue another two years, another three, four, five years? How many more can they and will they win? Uh, we'll find out. So progress along on Three Dog Thursday. Coming off the playoff weekend, let's go ahead and talk about a little bit of that. What what stood out? Obviously, the great Titans come back in their win. Falcons won on the road uh, against the uh, the Rams, I talked about that on Three Dog, Three Dog Thursday. I really thought their playoff experience would would be better for them and would uh, would be something big time in their corner against the Rams, and it was in their win. That that Jaguar Bills game, Kevin, oh, just difficult to watch. Th- thoughts on the wild card weekend, real quick of, of the playoffs. I mean, what Tennessee did was incredible for them to come back and beat Kansas City. I mean, the Chiefs, who had that long drought of winning at Arrowhead Stadium in the playoffs, not since Joe Montana in 1993, and they're up 21-3 to and cruising along. For them to lose the game the way they did, and Marcus Mariota scores in that crazy touchdown to himself. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah, Tennessee, that's a great job. It's a horrible job by Kansas City to, to lose that game. I mean, for the Falcons, they got four shows, a couple turnovers early and kind of put the Rams away. And then, yeah, I mean, Jacksonville Buffalo was very unwatchable just because, you know, those teams, it's not about they don't belong in the playoffs, but you just see where in the AFC it's New England, Pittsburgh, and then everyone else. I mean, this is the problem is you have no one left to fill these spots, and this is what you get. And then another game, I mean, I had New Orleans in that game against Carolina. It was very frustrating to see them not cover. 
when they were kind of in control of that whole game. But, uh, you know, Cam Newton's had problems on the road during his playoff career. So, you know, that is kind of, I feel like, a theme with a lot of these quarterbacks. But, you know, for the Saints, you know, this is a big game coming up against the Vikings. And, uh, you know, does the winner of that game go to the Super Bowl? There's a lot going on, I think. But now at least we get some better teams this week that we'll see. Well, and uh, and again, more on the Saints and the Vikings a little bit later on, and some predictions, some underdog predictions still upcoming in this one. Hey, back you love these stats. Back to these uh, numbers from the record book for the for the Jaguars and the Bills last week. A three three first half. The last time that had happened in the NFL postseason, Forty ers Bengals Super Bowl down in Miami where you are. Three uh, three at the half. So it had it had. Been, it had been 28 years in the NFL since a 3-3 halftime in a postseason game uh, like that. Last postseason game in the NFL with only 13 total points was, again, a 1990s postseason game, 1997. Steelers 7, Patriots 6. Bill Cower, Cordell Stewart, uh, Steelers, uh, Bill Parcells, Drew Bledsoe, uh, Patriots, seven to six in the 1997 NFL playoffs. Uh, and, the, and those stats about Blake Bortles with more than 20 pass attempts and fewer than a hundred yards, and he won the playoff game. That's incredibly futile yardage, yet they still won. Steve McNair, the late Steve McNair, was the last quarterback to do that in the 1999 Music City Miracle Game against Buffalo. More than 20 pass attempts, fewer than 100 yards passing. But to their credit, Jacksonville just found a way, and that defense is really good. And look, we can't poo-poo. It's a great turnaround for Jacksonville, and they won a playoff game. However they won it, they won a playoff game, right, Kevin? we got to give them credit. A 10-win season, a division title, they got a playoff win. It counts. It does. It doesn't matter who they played. I mean, look. I mean, you can. We we could celebrate the Chiefs for the five and zero start and for winning the AFC West. They have nothing to show for it. I mean, Jacksonville can get blown out by Pittsburgh. They still got to the second round. You know, so that's where. You know, yeah, it's hard to be really critical of Jacksonville when they still went. They held a team out of the end zone, even though it was a really stupid decision on first down after all those mm. penalties for them to throw a pass, which made no sense and results in a field goal on that drive. Or, excuse me, the offensive pass interference that backed them up. That's right. When they could just run the ball with Tyrod Taylor, who was running all over them at the time. But, uh, yeah, win's a win. And I know we get very critical about everything, but, you know, at the same time, you know, be more critical about teams that lose as opposed to teams that win and just say, oh, well, they don't belong there. Well, they won. And you know what? I know we'll talk about them coming up against Pittsburgh. You know, they held Ben Roethlisberger in check. And if they can have another good defensive game, maybe they're in the AFC Championship. They're yeah. really good defensively. just unfortunate that they're terrible offensively. But, uh, you know, wins are wins, and they haven't had it in a long time, and they move on. Quite a story right now in North Florida for sure. All right, Kevin, stand by. Plenty of NFL conversation and, most importantly, underdog predictions coming from Kevin Rogers of VegasInsider.com. Straight ahead, Peter Schrager will be here from Fox Sports and the Good Morning Football program on the NFL Network. Love that show. Uh, more on that uh, in a little bit. Also, Price Atkinson will be here. Price was field level with me as part of the college football playoff championship game for the very end, the crazy end of Alabama's overtime win over Georgia. I'll talk with Price about that and a lot more. It is the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to, exclusively to underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. We will continue.
Been waiting on this. Been looking forward to this. Here he is from Good Morning Football from the NFL on Fox. He's Peter Schrager, ready to talk some NFL playoffs, some underdogs, and much more. How you feeling? Feeling good, dude. I, I mean, I feel like you and I have some of the best conversations anyone's had on football, and it's during plays or in between plays <laughs> on sidelines at Buccaneers games when I'm working for Fox and you're doing the radio. I feel like our conversations there would make for good television. Yeah, it might be. So we need to have a, a crew with us like Hard Knocks was uh, wandering around. And sometimes it can be about movies. It can be about food. It's like, hey, did you see that GIF <laughs> yet on Twitter? Uh, whatever it is. Listen, uh, let's begin with this. I am a fan. I am totally in the bag for Good Morning Football. I'm like your PR front person here. I love the show. The, the first question I would have, is that show as fun to do as it looks like and comes across on the air? Because it looks like a blast. What say you? It's, it's, it, we, t- we basically looked at every television show that does sports and said, how can we turn it inside out and do something totally different? And it was basically... Just pretend like the cameras aren't there, and we'll, we'll get through it. And the first year was kind of shaky at times, but we had to feel each other out. But yeah, teach, I mean, I, it's honestly, I would, I would go and get a beer with Burleson right now if he wanted to, and I would go and get a beer with Kyle, and I'll go get a beer with Kay. And the four of us, through two years, don't hate each other. We like each other, and we love football. So in a climate where all the other shows are talking about, you know, concussion protocol and here, what are we going to do about the national anthem issue? We acknowledge it all. We've got a news division in L.A. that handles it. And we said, let's actually do something crazy that has never been done before. And that's let's enjoy football. And that's what we do on our show. A lot of fun with that. And the fact that you and Burleson have not killed Kyle Brandt to this point is another plus. That's He's an another animal. bonus. But it's, it's, it works. It works in all different ways. There's pop culture. There's humor. There's Peter Schrager dancing. There's all of it. Yeah. Um, you we, know, did you... a thing to, we did a thing on the show Wednesday. that You'll just like this. It's like Marquand Manuel and Sean McVay had a really good head-to-head battle. Two young offensive-defensive minds. What is a matchup you would like to see? So Burleson says Antonio Brown and Jalen Ramsey. I come out and I say, I can't wait to see Peyton versus Zimmer this weekend. I think that's going to Kyle Brandt says, I want to hear James Earl Jones versus Morgan Freeman do a voiceover contest. <laughs> that's a great response. I'm not going to argue that. And the only thing I'm going to say to that in my best impersonation is Moonlight Graham. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's... If you build it, they will come. <laughs> I just love him, though, in the middle of the street when Kevin Costner's coming in the VW uh, bug and, you, and the movie turns because he's seen the vision with Moonlight Grom. So it uh, is. It's beautiful. And that's why we love Good Morning uh, Football. And one more that's why on we this. Love Field of Dreams. That's yeah, why right. We love Field of Dreams. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it is like your Field of Dreams. All right, so on Good Morning Football, just give the audience an idea. Do you get about 67 minutes of sleep? Are you up at 2 a.m.? Because that show is on bright and early, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Well, do you operate most of the time on like 59 minutes of sleep? How does that work? You've worked in radio and TV mm-hmm. your whole career. You understand that there's no, there's no kosher time for this. You don't make your hours. There's no nine to five. So when the show was coming around and they said, Hey, you, you, you know, we're considering you for the host. Here's the only, the only negative is that you're gonna have to get up at 3am every day. So that's fine. So 3am every day, wake up. Uh, and we get to the studio, we have a meeting at 5am. You should see, uh, Nate Burleson at 5 a.m. It's a pleasure. And then uh, 7 a.m. we're on. But that's a job. 
It is a job. Beautiful. I'm not going to complain about it. I talk no, football for a living. Exactly. What are we complaining about here? So we're having fun on Three Dog Thursday. We've got the divisional round of the playoffs coming up. Uh, and again, with with the understanding that things you know could change between now and the time the games get played, it's it's still um, it, it's it's been a very interesting start to the playoffs. The Titans come back that eliminates uh, the Chiefs, and now oh goody, the Titans get to go play the Patriots. The the Jaguars, and I'm based in Florida, you know that played a game that was almost unwatchable at times with Buffalo, yep. and they're alive playing the Steelers. What, what are your overall thoughts as we get ready for the divisional round, and that will include uh, Saints and Vikings and uh, Falcons and Eagles? What are, what's your overall thought coming off the first weekend, getting ready for the second weekend? The overall thought is the two NFC South teams are both going on the road, but I feel like they're both favorites, the way the media is talking about them and the way they played last week. That the Saints, to me now, geez, we saw them week 17 lose to the Buccaneers, and there were a lot of weird plays. Tommy Lee Lewis fumbled that punt, and then they ran that silly fake field goal like, and then they buttoned it all up. They looked tremendous, uh, you know, really good against the Panthers. But at the end of the day, I do think the home teams find a way in both of these games. I think the Vikings' home field advantage is the most underrated home field advantage in the league, and their defense, America's about to find out about them. And I think the Eagles have had just enough of a month of everyone doubting them. I think they find a way in those outdoor elements and get the best of the Falcons. So that's the NFC. And then the AFC is two huge favorites. I don't think the Titans are going to come in and shock the Patriots at Foxborough, but I watched Week 5, and I watched Jalen Ramsey, and I watched Barry Church, and I watched Tayshawn Gibson get the best of Ben Roethlisberger. I cannot wait for that game. It's a strange game for divisional round. Jaguars at Steelers, 1 o'clock CBS. I think there might be an upset in that one. Listen to that. So if he's going underdog, it might be the Jacksonville Jaguars. And look, we see a lot of unlikely turnarounds in the NFL. You reference one with the Rams. I mean, who saw that coming as they, they rocked and rolled and won the division? And Jacksonville, the same thing. They had been floundering. They'd almost been a punchline, and they turn it around in just one season with that defense. Peter, how good is that defense? Uh, because I'd love to have your opinion on that. That seems to be the reason why they are, they are where they are right now. Well, I've been trying to put it in historical terms, so I'm trying to think of the team. Is it the 85 Bears? No, because that was all like veteran defenders with – Wilbur Marshall and Mike Singletary. Then I was thinking, is it is it more like the '76? No, the, the Steelers were really, were really big up front, and they had you know great linebacker play. To me, it's like the 2000 Ravens, where you have all these young guys who talk the talk. They talk so much. I, I've done a couple Jaguars games this year, and you'd be surprised how much Jalen Ramsey talks, how much <laughs> Telvin Smith talks, how much Yannick Ngakwe talks. These guys run their mouth all game and. Calais Campbell and Paul Puzlesny are on that defense, so it's not like it's all kids. But I will say this. They are so young that they probably don't realize that they're not supposed to win this game, and they are so young that they really have nothing to lose. And that, to me, is the scariest thing if you're a Steelers fan because you got to assume that the Steelers' defense can do the best to, to stop Blake Bortles. He's not going to kill you. But if that defense starts going and causing turnovers, then it's anybody's game. And they've done it already. They have the confidence. They kicked their butts in Week 5. That, to me, is where the upset can be. Love Peter Schrager for just a couple more minutes. Good morning, football. NFL on Fox talking playoffs uh, with us. We'll see what happens here in the divisional round for this weekend. Obviously, the Vikings, everybody is amped about this. If they're able to win that game with the Saints, they are a step away potentially from being in the Super Bowl, which is in Minnesota. Bring the long handles, bring the gloves, bring the extra layers (laughs) for the Super Bowl in Minnesota. But we'll see. The Vikings have got to win two playoff games to get there, but let's see how that 
uh, begins to play out for that, that part. But hey, at the time we're talking right now, and I, I'm going to couch it this way, we don't know what the Giants are going to do, if they're going to make a hire or not. But the signs are pointing to Matt Patricia, potentially the, the Patriots defensive coordinator, being the Giants coach. You are in New York. Give me the initial read and reaction if that's the guy. What do you think? All right. So as I say this, we're recording this in the middle of the week and there hasn't been anything, but I know that if Steve Wilkes was the guy, they would have never let him get on a flight and go to Arizona and interview with the Cardinals. And when Steve Wilkes finished that interview, I'm sure there was a moment in his head thinking, okay, okay, all right. And then he went to the airport and Giants, it's it's still considered a premier job. So let's just say that if Wilkes blew them away, I think that would have been a done deal right there in the room. So not canceling him out. Number two, Josh McDaniels met with them. The word on McDaniels that he prefers other teams to New York, maybe. Giants don't like that. They don't want to ever be second fiddle. Number three, Matt Patricia. Everyone was linking him to Detroit. Well, sure, that's because Detroit wants Matt Patricia. But did Matt Patricia want Detroit? I think it does make a lot of sense here. There's a Belichick tie. Belichick was obviously a Giants defensive coordinator for years. Giants, you know, Ben McAdoo was an offensive coach. You make the switch to now a defensive coach. And if you want to talk about one of the great brains in the league and just a kind of a mastermind as far as defense, it is Patricia. That said, I wouldn't be shocked if Josh McDaniels was the head coach mm. of the New York Giants. I, I believe Josh McDaniels still is in the mix there. And I think just because everyone's talking Patricia – I think it could still go the other way. I think McDaniels could be the guy. And and again, with the understanding you may be listening to us on the weekend as we promote this show, we could be wrong all the way. I mean, it could be uh, that they don't hire a coach right now. It could be that Bill Belichick ends up being the coach three weeks from now. Who who knows? We don't know. Nick Saban. That's what Bruce Arians (laughs) went on Colin Coward yesterday, and I love it. I've never seen Arians do an interview post-coaching career. Usually, not cliches, but he's pretty buttoned up. Comes on uh, Colin Coward. I was like, yeah, I could see Saban taking the Giants job. Okay, that's headline. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for that, or take the Colts job or whatever. But, uh, I mean, I was with Saban uh, for other broadcast duties for the college football playoff. He looks pretty happy at Alabama, and they win all the time, and he makes $10 million, and he owns it. So we'll we'll, uh, see all that. Hey, right out of the vein of good morning football, I, I cannot and would not ever be able to grow a beard like what Patricia had. Have you ever had a beard, a playoff type beard no. like the Stanley Cup? Could no. you grow a beard like that? What's the story? I could not. I tried, and it just becomes a neck beard, and it's not pretty. Like, <laughs> it's one of the great, and it's not like a well-trimmed, it's not yeah. a groomed, it's a grisly, hideous beard. And it's funny, I, I think it actually plays in New York. Cold weather city, a bunch of blue-collar people who want to watch their team get back. I think the whole Patricia mystique does play in New York. Yeah, and the beard could be a factor there on that. We'll see what they like to do. Do they keep Eli Manning? We don't know. One thing for sure, they'll be talking constantly about the playoffs the rest of this week, the next few weeks, leading all the way up to the Super Bowl. They'll obviously be live with Good Morning Football at the Super Bowl in Minnesota. I love watching you guys. You do a great job on Good Morning Football. Thank you, Peter Schrager, for spending a few minutes on Three Dog Thursday with me. We'll see if those Jaguars come through as the underdog. Thank you, sir. Love it, dude. Thank you for having me. Three Dog Thursday and another opportunity to talk to a special guest. I love this guy's insight. He was with me in Atlanta as part of the College Football Playoff podcast and our pre- and post-game coverage of Alabama's thrilling win over Georgia, 26-23 in overtime. Price Atkinson is with me here. You also know Price from his Service Academy football show, Yards and Stripes. We had him on earlier in the year talking Army and Navy and the great seasons there. But I've got you on here because we were we were there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Monday. 
Uh, it's been a couple of days at the time that we're talking right now. Are you, like me, still trying to process all of what we saw, my friend? That's exactly what I'm doing. I literally did a couple of hits yesterday with a couple of people, and they said, what was it like? I said, you know, to be honest, guys, it's, it's really just trying to process what we saw, and that's, that's really not the sexy answer a lot of people want to hear, but mm. it really is the truth because it's just so it's so hard to – internalize and then process the, like you mentioned, the two games within a single game. And it, that's really what it was. But the storylines, if you, if, if you go back and look at it, and you were to tell me that both Scarborough and Damian Harris rushed 10 times for a combined 41 yards, that Alabama was what maybe, I think they were 3 of 14 on third down, and they made a quarterback change to a true freshman who had hardly played at halftime. If you had told me that, I would have told you that Alabama probably lost north of two touchdowns. That clearly did not happen. (laughs) And it was as crazy a finish as you can imagine. You and I were standing down there side by side. We'll tell this story for 25 years. When Tua Tonga-Vailoa launched that missile touchdown and Devontae Smith came down with it, and then came running over towards us to celebrate on the walk-off touchdown, and the, and the big dog pile started happening with all the media. It was almost surreal, Price. What are your, what are your reflections on it a few days later? Well, I, one of my reflections is basically how it transpired, because when we're standing there right there at the goal line, you see the sack happen. Two is down at the 41-yard line. Here comes second and goal, or second down. Nobody, when that pass was thrown and it was a laser touchdown to Davis, we were, it was a processing moment. Did that really just happen? Because, you know, when I was on the goal line for the previous year's championship game, when Clemson wins basically, you know, on the last second to, to Hunter Renfro, you know, everybody immediately, bam, you know, rushes the field, you know, et cetera. That was different than the, than the other night because the other night the pass is thrown and we're like, Hold on, the game is over. Did he really just do that? And it was a questioning moment. Like we, you know, the sack happens. You think, uh oh, here Alabama's in some trouble. But it really was like, hold on, 41, 41 yard touchdown pass walk off. This thing is over. And it took a couple seconds for it to really say, okay, up, oh, it's go time. This thing's over. Wow, that really happened. It was a processing moment that we all had, and me and many others, including you, on the sideline. You know, and and let's not get run over because, again, half the Alabama team was running for Devontae Smith coming towards us. There's probably a hundred media people now surrounding that pile trying to take video. And I'm, I'm thinking self-preservation there for a second or two. <laughs> Don't get avalanched. Don't get run over. So, um, uh, you know, just one more time in your own words, the whole experience, the stadium, the atmosphere being around Atlanta, Say whatever you want to say for 30 more seconds on Alabama ending the college football season with that overtime win over Georgia. I mean, it's Nick Saban's world and we're all living in it. Whether you like it or not, the guy makes a change at halftime. And you know, I thought he was absolutely stone cold insane with the move he made. But proves I don't know a thing. He knows everything. And that's why the man is the best college football coach of all time. It's just, it's just incredible. You can't script a movie like what we witnessed in Atlanta in a, an incredible setting the final game of the season love that all right now i should say to the audience that my man price was with me on sunday for the nfl uh, playoffs and the playoff game with the panthers and the saints and you're in the greater charlotte media market you're a charlotte panther a carolina panther a charlotte guy and, and the panthers could not get over the hump the saints beat them for the third time this season and ended 
their year. I know you're a bit downtrodden about that. So the Saints move on now to play the Vikings. And for our purposes on Three Dog Thursday, we are curious. I, I really... I am leaning towards, and we'll talk more with Kevin Rogers, our analyst, about the game predictions on the underdogs in our final segment, but I'm leaning towards the Saints. What are your thoughts on the Saints as the underdog against uh, the Minnesota Vikings here in this situation? What do you think? Uh, Give me the Vikings all day, uh, all day long, because, as you know, and a lot of your listeners here on Three Dog Thursday that love doggies, Know that what the Saints is in a four, they're a four point four dog point, right now. Four point dog right? for the Saints. That's correct. The bottom line this game is not in the Big Easy. This game is in snowy, frigid, cold Minnesota. I get it's indoors, but still it is away from the dome there in New Orleans. Uh, the Saints lost their last three games on the road. They're a really a Jekyll and Hyde kind of team away from the Mercedes Benz uh, Superdome there. The Vikings are just hot. I love I love the Vikings. I love the Vikings to cover TJ. I don't know I don't know if it will be within ten points. But it is a playoff really? game. You no know breeze is gonna bring it. You know they've got a great running game. I just like the Vikings at home. They've had a week to prepare. Keenum's had a fantastic year. Give me Vikings all day. And you and I were talking about this on the playoff Sunday, that in recent years it hasn't been as much where the team that won on the wild card weekend went and beat Mm -hmm. the team with home field advantage on the bye. But through history, if you would look at a 10-year sample, let's say, it has happened more than a couple times. It's happened probably 25, 30% of the time. It likely is going to happen this weekend to one of the home teams. One of the four divisional home teams will probably be upset. I don't think it's the Patriots, but who knows. But one of those four teams is probably going to get upset by a team that won last weekend. So I'm just curious on that factor, the hot teams that have, that have won games at the end of the year, that may, maybe one of them pulls the shock, but you don't think it's the Saints. You think it's the Vikings. They're not going to be stale. They're going to they're gonna find a way to, to rough up Drew Brees. They're going to find a way to find enough offense, and they're going to win this game at home and be in the NFC Championship game, huh? That, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I mean, the Saints are good. I, I just think the Vikings, and, and I'm with you. I'm with you on that, that in, in baseball, it, it, it's more, I think it's more apparent in baseball than it is the NFL playoffs. But typically a team, you know, as you're talking about, a wild card team is typically scrapping, clawing, play, usually playing hot, sometimes hanging on for dear life to get in. But most of the time, one of those wild card teams is playing for, you know, incredibly good football or baseball, but in this case, football, to get into the playoffs. And that game, even though it's not a bye, that game that they get to play, and obviously the Saints beat the Panthers, that keeps them on the field. It keeps their momentum rolling. It, it keeps them sharp. I'm oftentimes not a big bye week fan, especially if you're playing well. The Vikings were playing well. That could end up hurting them. But still, I think the overriding factor is the game is not at home. The Vikings are going to have that home crowd behind them. I'm with you. There will be a home team lose to the play- in the playoffs this weekend to a wild card team, but it's not going to be in Minnesota. I love Price Atkinson for a lot of reasons there. He's given me some football knowledge. we got one more thing to plug because Yards and Stripes has been put to bed with Service Academy football being over. And do not snicker, Three Dog Thursday fans, because this is an Olympic sport. There is interest, and my man Price is into curling and the U.S. national curling teams, the men's and women's teams, the mixed teams, and curling coming up as an Olympic sport, and you have got a curling podcast that is all over it. Plug away sir the extra extra in and thank you sir the extra extra in podcast 
with the 12th in Sports Network. We cover curling, as you mentioned, on a weekly basis. Usually comes out every Wednesday, Thursday. What we do, we cover curling from the American aspect as we get ready for the upcoming Olympics in Pyeongchang that begin here in the first week of February going through the 22nd. We cover the elite curlers. We get you ready. Who are the faces? Who are the players? Who are the coaches? What is going on around the world of curling in the United States, especially when it comes to the nationals coming up in March? You have the world championships a little bit later than that. But in front of us, we have got the upcoming Winter Olympic Games. John Schuster, Nina Roth will be leading our two respective men's and women's team. And then Nick Doubles is in the Olympics for the first time. The Hamilton's Matt and Becca, they are going to, I think, be stars coming out of this Olympics, certainly if they make a podium. But the Extra Extra In podcast will recover all things curly. It is a cult-like sport. <laughs> Every Olympics, you hear more and more people get into it just simply captivated by watching. Say, I watched hours and hours of curling. That's how I got with those, my friends. I love it. All right, so again, you can find this. Tell them where you, they can find it because there's several different places they can find the Extra Extra In podcast. Plug away. You can get it uh, on the website, tesn.us forward slash podcast. You can listen to it on the 12th and Sports Network right there, tesn.us. You can get it on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, you can also follow us on, on Facebook and Twitter at 12th and Sports Network. Every single episode link right there. Again, the TESN guys, Joe Calabrese and, and Brian Anderson brought me on to to do some things and then this podcast we added has been an added bonus so to speak that started back in the fall but you can listen to the blog talk radio you can get it tsn.us forward slash podcast every single week leading up to the olympics and we will have i think every uh, other day we will bring you a new episode recapping what is going on over in south korea as the games transpire love it this man can talk football. This man's a college basketball fan. We'll come back to that probably on Three Dog Thursday as well. Curling as well with the Extra Extra In podcast. Look for it. Check it out. Price, I had a blast being with you in Atlanta. Thank you for dropping some post-game knowledge on that, some NFL playoff preview knowledge, and even some curling on this conversation for Three Dog Thursday. <laughs> you did great. You're the best, babe. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Go doggies. Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. We're in one more time here on Three Dog Thursday, ready to talk about the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Let's call back in our analyst, the uh, the always chipper, the always insightful senior handicapper from VegasInsider.com. Kevin Rogers is back with me. And we are ready for this divisional round and ready for some underdogs. Again, last week, we are going to toot our own horn. Three for three on Three Dog Thursday. You had the Titans. I took the Atlanta Falcons and the Buffalo Bills. As much as the Jaguar-Bill game was harmful to small children to, to view, uh, it still ended up being a Buffalo cover, getting the nine points and the 10-3 to three loss. So now we have the four underdogs. Philadelphia, a home underdog with Atlanta in the first game on Saturday. Tennessee, a significant 13.5-point underdog at New England Saturday night. Jacksonville now a 7-point underdog in the rematch with Pittsburgh. And the New Orleans Saints are a 4.5-point underdog with the Minnesota Vikings. So, Kevin, as we bring you back in, where do you want to begin with underdog number one for the divisional round in Three Dog Thursday? It was a really nice win last week by the Falcons going out to L.A. And 
I don't know if they show their experience or what. Sometimes I think that's all overblown, the, the playoff experience. And, you know, you turn the ball over, it makes the other team look better. And the Falcons beat the Rams. Now they advance. You know, they're still alive. Try to get back to another Super Bowl. They go to Philadelphia on Saturday and take on the Eagles. And the Falcons go from an underdog at L.A. to now a favorite at Philadelphia, which they should be. You know, I don't dispute that, uh, considering Carson Wentz is out and Nick Foles is the quarterback. But at the same time, though, that was the first road win in the playoffs for Matt Ryan in his career. Now we got to ask him to do this two consecutive games, two weeks. Now you're going to bad weather in Philadelphia, worse weather than Los Angeles. You go from an underdog to a favorite, and you're facing an Eagles team that's still very good. Everyone in the world is doubting them. Everyone has shut the, shut the door on Philadelphia after the Carson Wentz injury. Basically, the key to this game is just Nick Foles not making mistakes. If Nick Foles just cannot make mistakes and can maybe keep this a low-scoring game, I think Philadelphia has a chance to win it. I really do. I think they have a, a, a good shot to win it. They still were a team that lost one home game all year. They came to Dallas in Week 17 when they just totally packed it in, when they just didn't care because everything was wrapped up. But this Eagles team played very well at home all year long. And for Atlanta, now the expectation on them is to win on the road. And I think that it's a tall task for them to go to Philadelphia in not great weather where Matt Ryan has got to win his second consecutive road playoff game in seven days. I think it's asking too much. Well, and you make some good points, uh, especially about him having that road record, having that track record. Um, again, I backed the Falcons a week ago, but I, I, I agree with you on Three Dog Thursday. Atlanta being favored here on the road at Philadelphia, who's been good. The only concern I have, and we touched on this a little bit with Price Atkinson right before we brought you back in, you know somewhere that one of these road teams, and I, and I have a feeling I know who it is, one of these road teams is going to catch the home team that didn't play last week, and in particular in Philadelphia's case, like you laid out, they didn't play starters for a lot of that Dallas game. It meant nothing. They had already locked up the number one seed. So they basically haven't played for three weeks going into this game. Two games, uh, missing missing uh, on the final regular season game. Last week didn't have a game. So they haven't been out in live contact with an opponent going on three weeks now. Will Atlanta be the fresher team? Will they be the, the team that is first to the spot and harder and hit first and get lower and get aggravated? Let's see. Let's see if that's the case, but I don't think it will be. I'm with you. I think Philadelphia will run it some. Uh, again, we saw last week, even in victory, Atlanta kicking field goal, field goal, field goal, especially in the red zone. That's going to come back to haunt you. I like the Eagles there as well. All right, second game on the divisional round for Saturday is the Titans off that great win. We talked about it in the first segment, the comeback win over the Chiefs. It's a nice story. Now they have the Patriots and Tom Brady. All the controversy that's going on. I believe you're going to stay away from this, and I'm going to stay away from the Patriots uh, here on this one. Not not so much back in the Titans. I'm just staying away from the Patriots. I don't care who they would be playing. So, I mean, Kevin, I, I think New England could win this one convincingly against Tennessee. I guess the way I'll pose it to you, how does Tennessee stay in this game and keep it close if they can keep it close? What do they have to do well? well besides Tom Brady getting injured, uh, <laughs> I would say... It's hard. I mean, you got down 21-3 last week. Right. You know, and, you know, and, and you had a, a, a miracle comeback. And 
you know, this time around, yeah, you would have to be perfect. No turnovers, right? No turnovers. Yeah, that's key. The game of his career. I don't care how bad the Patriots' defense has been, even though it, it, it improved after the first four weeks. I mean, take out the first four weeks and then see what they did the rest of the season, and it was very good. Uh, I just think that it's going to be tough. Out of the four games this weekend, three of them, if it went either way, wouldn't shock me. I'd be shocked if Tennessee won this game. Well, I think everybody, like I think everybody would be. Yeah, yeah. If Tennessee won, I mean, if Jackson would be Pittsburgh, fine, whatever. You know, however the Eagles game goes, the Saints-Vikings game is a toss-up. But as far as this game, like you can't tell me that New England's losing this game unless Tom Brady gets hurt. I don't. There's no way they're losing this game. How much do you make? And and some of it may be manufactured controversy at this point. There's a big ESPN, the magazine ESPN.com article talking about how there's a rift between Brady and Belichick, and that's why Garoppolo got traded during the season. Do you believe any of that? Do you think it's baloney? Do you think it's overblown and that the Patriots are just going to roll here? Or could there be something to this that finally there's a fracture here in that great relationship between Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame quarterback? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I I don't know what to believe. I don't know what's true, what's not true. I don't know how much, you know, Brady felt threatened by Garoppolo if he did or if he didn't or if someone's just, just building this up. I just really can't see that as a factor for them not playing well. I just can't see that. They don't play well because they don't play well. I don't think it's because there were distractions. I don't see the Patriots getting distracted. I mean, when you look at their losses in the past and in, in the playoffs, they're not losing because they're distracted. They're just, they've had probably like maybe two losses in the playoffs that, that looking back at it have just been, you know, bad home losses to the Ravens and to the Jets. But a lot of them are close losses. They can go either way. Is that because they're a distractor or they shouldn't execute? I just think that, you know, you read all this stuff, it's interesting, it's drama, but I don't really know what's believed. Exactly. And, and the results are the most important thing. Let's see what the results look like in this game. Uh, in particular, if they keep winning in the playoffs, the Patriots we're talking about. Let's move on to Sunday. You've talked a lot about in the first segment and a little bit here about Jacksonville and Pittsburgh, I'll just pose one question because you and I are going to stay away from this for Three Dog Thursday. Neither one of us like the Jaguars and, and the points, although as you laid out, Jacksonville with that defense may be able to win. Ben Roethlisberger had the five interceptions in the first meeting in October. Since then, 10-1, and one, the lone loss to the controversial loss to the Patriots. In most of those games, he was nothing short of great. He's had a tremendous year will big ben play a great game here in this game or do you think jacksonville's going to stay in this game and pick him a couple of times again and make him look bad or does he does he avenge what happened in october give me a read on roethlisberger i think jacksonville hangs in this game i don't know if they i don't know if they win but i understand the first time around jacksonville had about 200 something yards of offense they had two pick sixes Fournette had a long run at the end when the game was out of reach at a 90 yard run so that helps have the stats a little bit but Jacksonville's still an excellent defensive team. You know, you can't take that away from them. And who knows how effective Antonio Brown will be. That's a big factor. You know, if he doesn't, if, if he's not, uh, if he's not the big weapon for Ben Roethlisberger, that's going to be a, that's going to be a problem. And again, I, I repeat myself with all these quarterbacks, if Blake Bortles just doesn't make mistakes, again, we're not asking these guys to win games, just ask them not to lose the game. And that's the case with Bortles and Keenum and Foles. That if those guys just don't make mistakes, I think Jacksonville's got a good shot to hang. I don't see why they couldn't just control the ball on the ground and do what you do defensively because this is more of a proven ground for Ben Roethlisberger. And we talked about it earlier that 
Jacksonville, they, they lose. You know what? They won the AFC South this year. They got yep. to the second round. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh loses this game. Oh, my God. I mean, you and, know, all the pressure on the Steelers. There's no and, pressure on Jacksonville. And Roethlisberger's contract could be up here. And that, I mean, a lot of people are speculating they blow this game. Would Pittsburgh move on from Big Ben? I'll believe that, it, I'll believe that when I see it. Because right now he's still got some uh, – the way he played down the stretch of the season, he's got some tread left on the tires. And let's see if it shows here in the postseason uh, uh, for this matchup. Okay, so that leaves us with the Saints and the Vikings on Three Dog Thursday. I'll go ahead and jump in. I'm going to take New Orleans uh, here. I really – I like the Saints in this matchup as the underdog against the Vikings. Now, the Vikings are a little different than the Eagles. They were playing their starters against the Bears. They still had to win against the Bears to make sure they had the bye. They had to convert in that final regular season game, Week 17. So they're not as stale, for example, as what Philadelphia is that had nothing to play for uh, in the NFC playoffs. Still, though, New Orleans having played last week while Minnesota was off, I, I love the diversity of the New Orleans offense with them being able to run the ball with Kamara and Mark Ingram as the one-two punch. I, I don't think, a, a thought from you, the first game of the season, that first Monday night doubleheader game with Minnesota, I really don't think that means anything. I mean, number one, Sam Bradford's not going to play in the game for the Vikings. He played brilliantly in game one. He's not playing in this playoff game. I, there's been so much football, injuries, philosophy changes, scheme changes, I don't look back on week one and say that that means very much in this playoff game. Do you agree with that, Kevin Rogers? Well, you're forgetting one thing, too. Remember who else was in this game that's not there anymore is Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson. Peterson. That was right. his return to Minnesota, and uh, he was obviously a non-factor, and they dealt him to Arizona, which kind of, I think, helped things out with the Saints moving forward. But, I mean, you can look back at it, take a couple stats from it. I mean, nobody would have ever thought that game week one, that, that Monday night game, that these teams will meet up in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, you could take a little bit from it, but, you know, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, the only thing I'll say about the Saints is that they're facing an excellent defense this week in Minnesota. And for Drew Brees, it's kind of like with all these quarterbacks. I hate going back to this well, but I have to. I mean, find me a big road playoff win that Drew Brees has. You know, I mean, the year they went to the Super Bowl, it went through New Orleans. You know, they beat Brett Favre and the Vikings in in the championship, which they probably should have lost. I don't really count the Super Bowl as a road win because it's a neutral site game. I just it, it, that's my problem with a lot of these guys that they did. You know, if you don't, they if did. You don't have the home field. It's hard. Yep, they did get a road win against Chip Kelly and the Eagles with Michael Vick one year in the playoffs, but okay. they've been rare. They lost to Seattle. Remember when Seattle was a seven and nine home playoff right. team? They lost Marshawn to the Lynch run. Yep, yeah. they lost to the Seahawks at Seattle. And you're right; it's hard to win on the road in the playoffs from almost anybody, for almost anybody in this instance. But, uh, look, this is a dome situation inside U.S. Bank Stadium, the site of the Super Bowl, as we were talking about. Something just says to me that New Orleans will find the way running the ball. Will Case Keenum finally have a poor game in this scenario? He's played very well in a lot of their big games, should deserve MVP consideration. We'll see. I'll take the Saints and the points. So I'm agreeing with you on the Eagles. You're on the Eagles. I'm on the Eagles for Three Dog Thursday purposes. I like the Saints as well. So that is, that's our underdog selections uh, for this week. Any other thoughts here on, on the playoffs and 
that the officiating, we haven't touched about this uh, yet, the the officiating, you know, the whole Mariota controversy with late in the first half, was that a sack fumble? Was his forward progress stopped? Had, had a couple of other replay reviews that made you scratch your head. I mean, Ed Hockley had everybody confused a couple of times uh, with some of the calls and some of the reviews in the Rams-Falcons game. The, there were a couple of other questionable situations in the uh, in the Saints Panthers game. I mean, officiating as a whole is under the microscope here. They need to have a better week this week in the divisional round, right? The NFL officials. Well, obviously, well, yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, it's amazing. Two things: one, you have, you have the most officials of any sport uh, in football, and yet they're making you know they're screwing up the most. You know, you have seven guys out there. <laughs> and, you know, it's like Hank, it's like Hank Stram said you know years ago. He's like he's like you know how'd you miss that? All seven of you missed that call. You know, it's the same thing. And you know, it must be nice to retire after you you have a bad game. You know, I feel like all these referees, there's Jeff Triplett and Teddy Valentine in college basketball. You have a controversy. Oh, I'm just gonna retire. I like to retire. (laughs) Retire before you get retired after the way that you officiated. Hopefully, we have some clean games and no controversy. Um, with these uh, with these divisional round playoff games, we will find out. Again, we've had a huge show today. You've got a lot happening and a lot of information on VegasInsider.com. Kevin, tell the audience more about it. Go ahead. Absolutely. Now, college football, we've uh, turned the page on that. And college basketball conference play is underway. NBA continues to roll. The NFL, we have a few weeks left before we hit the Super Bowl. And uh, we have plenty of information on these games, but then once Super Bowl week hits, we really crank it up for that week to give you every type of angle and everything you need for the big game, as they call it. And uh, don't forget one thing, TJ, that we're a few months away from Major League Baseball starting. Yep. Too. And yep. uh, also, the NHL continues, so uh, still a lot going on. Even when football's done, we still have a lot going on at VegasInsider.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter at TwitBI. And you can find Kevin Rogers. He's a great follow at VI Rogers. So follow him on Twitter at VI Rogers, Vegas Insider. Uh, also follow this show at Three Dog Thursday. Find us on Facebook uh, via Three Dog Thursday as well. Uh, we should we should also make mention too. If you have not subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher, rate the show. Uh, have the show ratings uh, help us out, help people notice the show. It'll move us up in the rankings, uh, spread the word around, help publicize and promote Three Dog Thursday. By the way, Price Atkinson was on with me earlier uh, talking up his curling podcast. Uh, podcast. I know, Kevin, you're not a big curling guy probably for the Olympics, but Price is a big curling guy. There is an audience for it. It is interesting. You can find that Extra Extra In podcast as well on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Check those places out uh, as well. Our thanks to Price for being with us. Our thanks to Peter Schrager for being with us. Kevin, I enjoyed it. We'll see what happens with the divisional round of the playoffs, my friend. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for being here again on Three Dog Thursday. Absolutely, TJ. Thank you. There is Kevin Rogers. I'm TJ Reeves, and we appreciate you being with us on the only digital radio show that's devoted exclusively to underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. Enjoy the playoffs. We'll talk to you next week. This is a Valor Hour Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We are joined by 2018 Knox County mayoral candidate Glenn Jacobs. But millions of WWE wrestling fans know him by another name, and that is Kane. Your presence, obviously, in this race has put a little bit more of a a spotlight on uh, the, the politics of this region, which is great. Uh, you know, but for for the people that only kind of know you as uh, as a performer in WWE, uh, talk a little bit about uh, you know you, the policies that you would bring to the table. 
table that, that would be different uh, for the people at Knoxville? Well, sure. Uh, I, overall, Knoxville is a great place. Knox County is uh, a great place to live, uh, to work and to raise a family. And I think the county government has done a very good job, actually, uh, over the past several years. Now we're poised to take the next step. You know? And when you look at the global economy, it's the most competitive it ever has been. I mean, we're not just competing against Chattanooga or Nashville uh, or Atlanta or Charlotte. We're competing literally in a global economy. And it's not enough for us to say that this is a great place. We have to strive for excellence every day. Um, we have some great things going here. Uh, the, uh, the Pellissippi Parkway and the Technology Corridor, uh, it is producing results. I've been out there and saw a couple of companies that are just doing tremendously wonderful things, uh, literally world-changing things. And uh, to be on the cusp of that, uh, this is just a great place and uh i think we need to promote east tennessee and to promote knox county uh when we look at our educational system our teachers do a great job our administrators do a great job uh, there has been a trend from washington dc over the last several decades really you know to push for everyone to go to college and i feel that uh, children are often uh characterized as failures if they don't they don't go to college and uh, college is a great path to success, but there are other paths as well. So I think we need a lot more emphasis on career and technical education. And I think that's actually happening nationwide. And uh, then you look at some of the other things like with recreation opportunities, we have tremendous outdoor recreation opportunities. What you guys do in, in the world of entertainment uh, is as important as well. Those are all quality of life factors that help attract businesses to our region by giving employees uh, a great quality of life. Um, you know, so those are all things that, that I'd like to look at. Uh, we're often, when we think Knox County, we don't think of it as being uh, a great outdoor recreational destination, but it is. Uh, you know, when you look at South Knoxville, we have uh, mountain bike trails in an urban area, which is um, this we're only a place in the country that has that. You know, they are building the BMX track over at South Doyle Middle School, uh, which again, uh, that's going to be a huge draw for our area. So uh, I think a lot of it is is really working to promote our region, the Promox County, and also East Tennessee in general. The Valor Hour with Tim Loy and Casey Oxendine can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.